podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Monday, the 16th of January. We're over halfway through the month, or today, I suppose, is the halfway point of the month. Month is going quite quickly for what is normally by far the longest month of the year. This month is normally like 600 days, but it seems to be going quite quickly this year. Maybe it's because, you know, my team are crap and they just, the gods don't want me to have to experience a crap team and a long month, but you know. Such is life. We move. Uh, we had a full round of Premier League games the weekend. And I have to say, I was oh, overall, I was very disappointed with the quality of football we saw. On paper, this was lined up to be a really, really strong weekend. But a lot of the games just didn't deliver. We'll start Friday night. Aston Villa 2, Leeds United 1, Leon Bailey. 
scores after three minutes to put Villa one up. Emi Buendia makes it two on 64 minutes, while Ilan Melier is, for some reason, sitting on the floor. And Patrick Bamford got Leeds one back on 83. Villa were the better team. Villa had the better opportunities. But Leeds will rightly feel aggrieved that they had a penalty turned down when Tyron Mings, the big clumsy oaf that he is, just lawn-darted Wilfred Nonto into the floor. Um, that was a penalty without question. It's a really poor refereeing decision. And if Leeds had gotten a point, I don't think he could have really been... He couldn't really have claimed it wasn't deserved. But Villa were the better team, so on they go with three points. What a good start for Unai Emery uh, as Aston Villa manager. He really has turned things around quite quickly. I think it's four wins and six, only one defeat in six. That's in the league. They obviously lost in, in both cups. But um, yeah, Villa, Villa are doing well and they are up to 11th. They are three points behind Chelsea and Liverpool. And I think if you'd told anybody connected to Aston Villa at the start of the season, that at the midway point after 19 games, they would only be three points behind Chelsea. I think everybody involved would have taken it. And I think Villa would have assumed they'd have been, you know, fifth or sixth. But they had a bad start under Gerrard. They rectified the mistake they made in appointing such a poor manager. They've got a good manager in now. And you can see the results. It's a good team of players playing well and scoring goals. Um, The early kickoff on Saturday, Manchester United 2, Manchester City 1. I don't even know where to begin. City were dreadful. Genuinely dreadful in this game. United weren't good either. United were the better team in the first half, but it was like being the best lookout on the Titanic. Neither team played well. Jack Grealish scored a header on 60 minutes. When Jack Grealish scores a header, you know your defence has made a mistake. But City went one up. It was their only shot on target in 90 minutes. Their only shot on target. So between Saturday and the Southampton game in the Cup, one shot on target in their last two games. Something's badly wrong there. And I've said it before, and people mocked me, and I'm right. Erling Haaland has made Manchester City worse. Because Pep Guardiola's system is very rigid and does not allow for a number nine who's as limited off the ball as Erling Haaland. It doesn't allow for somebody whose primary movement is a run-in behind. And he is scoring goals for fun, but when he doesn't score, he offers nothing to the team. Like, he'll play badly and get two goals. Think of the Newcastle game earlier this season. He was dreadful. They were dreadful. De Bruyne took over dragged them back into the game. Haaland got a goal and nobody mentioned the fact that he'd been awful afterwards. But when he doesn't score, he offers nothing to this team. And it's like they play with 10 men. Bruno Fernandes scored on 78 minutes and I'm sorry, but this is one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in my life. 
Marcus Rashford is offside. The ball is played in behind. Rashford has mistimed his run. Rashford runs to the ball, slows his run, and while he doesn't touch the ball, he is in control of the ball. And Bruno Fernandes comes in from the angle and scores. The rule is that because Rashford didn't touch the ball, he's not interfering. But let's be really honest. If Rashford's not there and that's just Bruno running onto that ball, Akanji gets back and throws himself at it. Or one of the other defenders or the goalkeeper reacts differently. Ederson probably gets to that ball before Bruno if he doesn't think Rashford is going to shoot. It's offside. It's an awful decision. A genuinely awful decision. Not as awful as the defending four minutes later for City's, for United's winner, rather. Garnacho tries to cross, can't do it. The ball comes back to him. He turns, just plays a percentage ball across the front of goal. And Akanji is just, I don't know what he's doing. I genuinely don't know what he's doing. But Rashford taps home and United get the win. United probably deserved it on balance of play, but City, God awful. Jesus, they were terrible. So with that result, City end the weekend in second where they started it. United ended in fourth where they started it. But United are now only one point behind Manchester City, nine points behind Arsenal. United fans very excited that they might be in a title race. You might want to temper those expectations just a little bit. Wolves won West Ham nil. Daniel Pedence with the only goal of the game. Yet another poor performance by West Ham. I thought Wolves played quite well and probably should have got another goal in the game. Uh, Matthias Nunes and Ruben Neves dominated the midfield, making Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek look quite poor. Not that they need much help with that this season. It was good to see Wolves with some options coming off the bench, though, and the squad starting to look a bit more rounded. Mario Lamina made his debut, which is an important thing for them. West Ham, I mean... I don't understand how they're 18th. I really have no idea how they found themselves 18th halfway through the season. Only 15 points, 12 defeats, joint most in the league, along with Leicester and Southampton. They can have no complaints. They can have no complaints. And their fans and such really, really must be very concerned about the direction of this team because David Moyes looks like he's run out of ideas. Their team captain looks like he doesn't really want to be there. He's been dreadful this season. Wolves moved themselves out of the bottom three. That's now two wins in the last four. Seven points from the last 12 available since Julian Lopetegui took over. And I've said all along, I think they'll be fine. I think they've got more than enough good players. And I think they'll start to string some results together here and move themselves up comfortably into a mid-table finish. Uh, Nottingham Forest 2, Leicester City 0, Brennan Johnson on 56 and 85 minutes, both assisted by the excellent Morgan Gibbs-White. Gibbs-White is starting to look very good value for money at the $25 they paid. A lot of people got hung up on the add-ons. Those add-ons 
will only trigger if he is successful, they're going to trigger because he's being successful. I would imagine a portion of them are based on Forrest staying up. I wavered a little bit, but I did think from the start of the season onwards that Forrest would be fine, and they look like a team that will be fine. They're currently 13th in the league. They're now five points outside the relegation zone. They've won three of five. They've taken 10 points from their last five. That 10 points, that's half their points total for the season. So they have turned things around. And Steve Cooper is getting things right. And dropping Steve Cook was the right decision. I told you to drop Steve Cook. You dropped Steve Cook. And all of a sudden, you look like a football team again. So congrats to Forrest for that. For Leicester, I mean, it's concerning. They're only two points outside the relegation zone. They've lost four in a row. You wouldn't have too hard a time seeing them slip back into the bottom three. If one of Southampton, Everton or West Ham puts a little bit of a run together, I think Leicester are one of the clubs that are most likely to fall back in because I don't see Wolves falling back in. I don't think Forrest will fall back in. I could be wrong, but I don't think they will. I think Leicester look really, really obvious choices for a relegation battle right now. Bournemouth are obvious ones, but Bournemouth are closer to it. And I've been saying all along, I think Bournemouth go down. But I do think Leicester are in big trouble. And it's it's so strange because there's talent in the squad, but Rodgers can't coach a defence. They just look so easy to get at. So, so easy for Morgan Gibbs-White to pick his way through the midfield and slide a ball in behind that defence. So, so easy for Brennan Johnson to stay onside, timing his run with the back line that's in no way in sync. And with Danny Ward in goal, you might as well start every game one down. Let's move on. Brighton versus Liverpool. I think this game was postponed. I don't think this game took place. Um, Jesus. Brighton 3, Liverpool 0. Brighton dominated the first half. The only positives for Liverpool in the first half were that they didn't score and that Ibrahima Kanate was playing really well. Uh, The second half was an absolute shambles. Liverpool were a shambles from minute one. From 12 seconds in, when Jordan Henderson aimlessly hoofed the ball over the Brighton defence to nobody, you knew it was going to be a long day, and it was a long day. Sonny March gets two on 47 and 53. Danny Welbeck wraps it up on 81. The March second and Welbeck goals were excellent. Really, really well-taken goals. Liverpool were a shambles, an absolute shambles. And some of their players should be ashamed of themselves. And the manager should be ashamed of himself for the dross that he's serving up week in, week out. His inability to motivate this team right now is very concerning. And if things don't change, Liverpool are screwed. Now, right now, they sit ninth in the league. And they are 10 points behind Newcastle and Manchester United. Now, in a normal season, you'd look at that and say, right, they've got 20 games left. They're 10 points behind. They'll easily claw that back. But this team doesn't like they have the capability to claw back anything. Awful, awful against Brentford. And pathetic against Brighton. Both of whom are now above them in the table. 
a shambles. Liverpool are ninth. Brighton move up to seventh. With two games in hand on Fulham, who are one point ahead of them, and a game in hand on Spurs, who are three points ahead of them, and they have the same goal difference. Win that game in hand, and they're they're fifth. Roberto De Zerbi has them playing tremendous football. And while they played good football under Potter, this is a different level. And the likes of Caicedo and McAllister are elevating their games. Now, Liverpool made it really easy for them. Liverpool made Adam Lallana look like Zinedine Zidane. That's how bad Liverpool were in this game. If you didn't see it, don't watch the highlights. Everton won, Southampton 2. Amadou Onana scores on 39 minutes to put Everton 1 up with a header. James Ward-Prowse doing what James Ward-Prowse rarely does, which is scoring from open play on 46 minutes. And then James Ward-Prowse doing what James Ward-Prowse normally does, which is scoring from a free kick on 78 minutes. To give the Saints a win, it was a very even game. If it had ended in a draw, it probably would have been the fairest result. But Everton just looked like they don't know how to get a result right now. One point from the last five games. Frank Lampard, in his tenure at Everton, has now managed 35. Is it 35 or 34? I think it's 34 Premier League games. And it has been... A disaster. Like this this experiment with Lampard has failed. And I think at this point, they might need to consider sacking him and getting a real manager in because this, this is shocking. So 34 Premier League games, eight wins, seven draws, 19 defeats. 34 goals scored, 58 goals conceded. You'll remember it wasn't that long ago Everton fans were banging on about how good they were defensively. 31 points from 34 games. 0.91 points per game. If you flex that out over a 38-game season, it's 35 points and a goal difference of minus 33. In the last nine seasons, that would have them relegated three times and they'd finish 17th in the other six. So that's what Frank Lampard has created at Aston at Everton, is a team that finishes in the bottom four. And some seasons are lucky to stay up and in others they go down. That's what Lampard is creating at Everton. So for all the talk of he's building something, no, he's not. You're playing Southampton. At home, they're bottom of the league. They've lost four in a row, five in a row in the league. And he lines up with a flat back five. Coleman, Godfrey, Cody, Tarkovsky, Michaelenko. Two sitting midfielders in Onana and Adrisaganage. Alex Awobi roaming around doing whatever it was he was meant to be doing. Damari Gray, just frozen in time, stood on a wing, and Calvert-Lewin up front looking very, very lonely. What is he building? And 
to be clear, Everton fans should be ashamed of themselves. Not all of them, obviously. But the ones that the ones that surrounded players' cars after the game, they the players aren't responsible for this. Yes, they could play better, but they're not being coached. They're managed by a buffoon. Frank Lampard is a buffoon. He has no business managing a Premier League club. He got the Derby job because his uncle made a phone call to Mel Morris, who was his uncle's mate, and said, give Frank the job. And Mel Morris couldn't run a bath, let alone a football club, and thought, okay, and gave him the job, let him spend recklessly, fail, and walk away, leaving the club up to their necks in financial ruin. Then he got the Chelsea job because his name is Frank Lampard and he once kicked the ball for Chelsea. And apparently that qualifies him to be Chelsea manager. And he failed at Chelsea. Spectacularly so. And then he gets the Everton job. Football management is is such a unique enterprise. You can be, by any measurable, garbage at the job. And not only will they pay you to go away, someone else will hire you to come and do the same thing at their club. Think of that. Think about your job. Right? Let's, no matter what you do, whether you're a surgeon, a postman, whether you work in IT, whether you're a mechanic or a carpenter, think about your job. If you were undeniably crap at your job, if someone gave you 34 tasks to do, in your job, you got eight of them right, seven of them were okay, and 19 of them you did wrong. What would happen? You'd get sacked. You wouldn't get paid off. You might get two weeks, but you wouldn't get your contract paid out. And nobody else would hire you. If you were a surgeon who operated on 34 people and 19 of them died, you'd never work again. Ever. You'd probably be locked up. Frank will get another job after this. In the same way Gerard will get another job after Villa. These people are not good at this job. Now, Frank could potentially put his ego to one side and go down the leagues and take a League One job, a level more suited to his ability, the same as Gerard, and work his way back up. But they won't do that. Their egos won't allow them to do it. And Gerard's better than this fellow. Gerard's not good at all, but he's better than this fellow. I've been saying it since the day he was appointed. 
I was right then, I'm right now. Frank Lampard is the worst manager in the Premier League. He is dreadful. He took Chelsea backwards, spent a fortune and took them even further backwards. And I know things were going poorly under Rafa Benitez. But let's not forget, Rafa was without key players for months and months and months. Rafa had started really well. Everton were in the top four after five or six games under Rafa. They hit a bad spell and they sacked him. How many games did Rafa get in charge? Rafa Benitez managed Everton for 22 games. 22 games. Won seven, drew five, lost ten. So lost less than half his games in charge. Frank has lost over half his games in charge. Rafa with a 31.8% winning percentage. And I do think Rafa's finished as a manager. I just don't think he's evolved with the game. I think the game left him behind. But Frank, 27.9%. And that's that's boosted by some cup results. He is a dreadful manager. And Everton now sit 19th in the Premier League. They've just lost to the team bottom of the league. Before that, they lost to Man United. They lost to Brighton heavily. They drew with City because City let themselves down. They lost to Wolves, who were bottom of the league. Before the break, they lost twice to Bournemouth, who were awful. And they lost to Leicester, who were awful. This was an easy run for them. Leicester, Bournemouth, Wolves, Southampton. This was the run in the league where they should have been picking up points. The City game and the Brighton game were whatever. But the others, the other four games... You have to be targeting 10 points. They've taken Nipois from those four games. They've taken one point from their last six in the league. They've gone out of the FA Cup. They've gone out of the EFL Cup. And things aren't getting easier. They get West Ham next. Then it's Arsenal, then Liverpool, and then Leeds. West Ham away is going to be really tough, despite the fact that West Ham are really poor themselves. You would still back West Ham to beat Everton. Arsenal will destroy them. They'll probably beat Liverpool. And I then maybe they get a draw against Leeds. And that would bring them to the 35 points in Frank's 38 league games in charge. But if they get less than four points, 
then they become a team that would have been relegated in, I think, seven of the last nine seasons. And if they keep him in charge for those four games, then the transfer window is closed and any manager coming in is going to have to just take over and work with what's there. We're coming up on a year since they appointed Frank. They appointed him on the 31st of January, 2022. If he sees that year, it's a massive failure on behalf of the Everton board. For Southampton, confidence-boosting win. They remain bottom of the league, but three points were absolutely vital, and hopefully they can build on that moving forward. Like I say, I think Bournemouth are, are going down. I think Everton look real good candidates to go down. It may well come down to Southampton and Leicester and maybe Leeds for that third spot. I think West Ham will dig their way out. I think Wolves are digging and will continue to dig their way out. I think Forest will dig their way out. Leeds I'm unsure of, though I do like Jesse Marsh and I think he's a good manager. Leicester look terminal. Bournemouth, I mean, it's it's a it's a shambles. And Everton is is the worst run club in the league right now. I mean, it's not just that they're bad. Like there's there's just nothing you watch them play, and there's no real hope with them. Like there's nothing you're watching and saying, Oh, they've been really unlucky there. Oh, you know, if if this happened within the current group, maybe they could turn things around. They look like a team who are defeated. They really do. They're going out there with such a negative mindset because Lampard's lining up with a back seven and Alex Awobi as a roaming destroyer. Plus cast away on the left wing and a lonely soldier up front. And this squad shouldn't be where they are. Like, it shouldn't be where they are. It's not that it's a great squad. But, I mean, it's far better than this. I'm not a Pickford fan, but Pickford is England's number one. You know? Tarkovsky is a good defender. I know he's injured at the moment, but Nathan Patterson's a good young right back. Mason Holgate's a good defender. Michael Keane is, well, he's Michael Keane. Yerry Mina would be good, but he's always injured. Michael Enko's a good player, but he's not a wing-back. If you're playing a back three, Michael Enko's the left-sided one in the back three. Ben Godfrey's the right-sided one in the back three. Seamus Coleman, at this point in his career, is a net negative. I don't know what Ruben Venegra has done wrong, but he should be playing left-wing-back when you're playing a back three. And Connor Cody shouldn't be at the club. Connor Cody is not good. He just isn't. Onana's really good. Really, really good. Garner's a decent player. I know he's injured now, but he hasn't been all season. He's a decent player. Tom Davies is a decent player. Iwobi's a decent player. Dekure's a decent player. And Adrissaganagay is a decent player. That's a solid midfield. It should be better than this. McNeil's a good player. Calvert-Lewin's a good player. 
I don't like Anthony Gordon. I, I think outside of pace, he's, he offers nothing. Pace and diving. Damari Gray is a good player. Neil Mope is a good player. And Ellis Sims, the kid they've brought back, um, who was on loan at Sunderland and doing well and playing well and looking happy, uh, they've brought him back, I think, in the hope that he can add something up front. And hopefully he can because they, they desperately need it. But, I mean, they, Lampard is just... He's setting them up to fail. Maybe we find out after the season's over that he was a secret Liverpool fan all his life and this is what he wanted to do. Uh, Brentford 2, Bournemouth 0. Ivan Tony with a penalty on 39 minutes. Matthias Jensen wraps it up on 75. A good win for Brentford. Keeps the momentum going. That's now three wins in a row, undefeated in five and four wins in those five. They are eighth in the league, and they're just such a model club. Them and Brighton, the two best-run clubs in the league. Tremendous. Really, really tremendous to see. Uh, good to see Ivan Tony back and scoring and playing well. For Bournemouth, it's just another defeat. It's four in a row, and they look they look hopeless. They look helpless, and they just look like they're rudderless at the moment. Um, they are 17. Moving on to Sunday's games. Chelsea won Crystal Palace nil. I thought Chelsea were lucky in this game. Uh, they had the most shots, but Kepa made two unbelievable saves in this game to keep Palace out, and another very good save. Gaeta made one good save, and that was about all he had to do. Uh, the rest were kind of straight at him, but the goal was a good goal. Kai Havertz on 64 minutes with a solid header giving them the win. Interesting lineup from Chelsea. Chalaba right back. Lewis Hall starting left back. Um, 62 million Mark Cucurella sitting on the bench. So that was interesting. Uh, ben Wabadiashile made his debut. Had some ropey moments, but overall looked fairly good. Conor Gallagher and Jorginho in midfield. The balance wasn't quite right. But he played Chuck Wemeka as a as a 10, which I thought was interesting. And Mason Mount off the left, which was both interesting and silly. And then Kai Havertz up front was, you know, was the usual Kai Havertz. Some good, some bad. Player shorn of confidence, but he got a goal. And that is that is kind of the main thing there. Um, it, Chelsea, they're 10th and that doesn't change anything. They're just 10th in the league. Uh, for Palace, they're 12th. That's four defeats in five. Now, Michael Elise had some really good moments in this game, but Palace are starting to look a little bit a little bit stale. And I do think they need to make a move in this window to just shake things up a bit. Newcastle won Fulham nil. Strange game of football. Newcastle were the better team. Absolutely no question about it. They deserved the win on the balance of play. But Fulham were given a penalty, which Mitrovic dispatched. And then the goal was ruled out because he slipped as he went to kick it. And he kicked the ball with his right foot onto his left and scores. So the goal's ruled out. The penalty isn't retaken. Disappointing for Fulham. Really disappointing for Fulham. Newcastle get their winner. Alexander Isak heads home from about a yard out. In the 89th minute after decent work by Callum Wilson. Toon just keep rolling. They are back into third. 
Um, first win after two draws, so getting themselves back on track. Fulham, though, sixth. It ends their run of four straight wins. But I don't think they can be too disappointed. They're sixth in the Premier League. 20 games in, they're sixth in the Premier League. They need roughly six, seven more points to secure safety. And no matter what anybody tells you, that's the only aim for them this season. Anything else is a bonus. The aim was to stay in the league. And they're going to do that very, very comfortably. Barring an all-time collapse, they're going to do it very, very comfortably. Final game of the weekend, Tottenham nil, Arsenal 2. Tottenham are masters of their own demise here because for the first 10 minutes of the game, they were the better team. Then Arsenal started to come into it. I've said before, this Arsenal team are the spawniest team I've ever seen. And another spawny goal puts them ahead. I don't know what Hugo Lloris is doing. Yes, the ball takes a deflection off Sessegnon. It's it's harder to do what he did than to save that ball. It's not going in. It's going across the goal. And he basically bats it into his own goal. It's awful. Absolutely awful from Hugo Lloris. Genuinely terrible stuff. Odegaard makes it two on 36. Between the own goal on 14 and the second goal on 36, Arsenal started to mount more and more pressure. But they were having a really tough time actually creating anything, except for when Spurs decided to help them create. Spurs just seemed, they seemed determined to help Arsenal out as much as possible here. 2-0 at half time. Second half starts. Spurs come out, look renewed, look rejuvenated. They have two really good chances in the first 15 minutes. Uh, one from Kane, one from Sessegnon. Ramsdale makes two de- decent saves. And then they just sort of dropped off again. And the game just played out how it played out. Arsenal didn't need to commit. Spurs didn't seem to want to commit. Really disappointing from Spurs, but a great win for Arsenal. They do the double over Spurs this year. They stay top, extend their lead at the top to eight points over City now with 20 games left. I still fancy City to win the league quite comfortably. But Arsenal, to their credit, have done very, very well. Very, very well. They get United next, then City in the Cup. Those will be two interesting games. The eight-point lead isn't really an eight-point lead, though. That's worth mentioning here, because they still have to play City twice. If City beat them twice, it's a two-point lead. Now, you'd rather have the points on the board, and they can be a bit more cautious against City, And right now, City don't look capable of beating them. But you just don't write off City. Fair play to Arteta. He's done a really good job this season. He's had a lot of luck. A lot of luck go his way. And they've been very, very fortunate with injuries. The Jesus injury is the only real one they've had. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if someone else gets hurt. If Partey gets hurt. If Odegaard got hurt. If Saka got hurt, what would they do? 
They thought they had Michaelenko wrapped up. No, not Michaelenko. Mudrik. They thought they had Mudrik wrapped up. And it turns out he's now a Chelsea player. I think that's a good thing for Arsenal because I think that would have been a dreadful use of their funds. They've been linked with Trossard. I think Trossard makes more sense. He's more versatile than Mudrik. He's adapted to the league. And I don't think he'd have as much of an issue being a squad player at Arsenal. He'd cost a fraction of the fee. Wages wouldn't be, I don't think, a whole lot different. I think Trossard makes a lot of sense for this Arsenal team. We'll be interested to see what they do, if they do anything, in the next two weeks. Uh, For Spurs, they're fifth. They're five points behind United. They've played a game more than United. And uh, they look a little bit a little bit lost at the moment. Now, it's no surprise when you're playing the likes of Eric Dyer and Clement Longley. Hoysberg's legs have gone. I don't, I, I don't know why he's still getting games. Basuma needs to be starting. You need to have dynamism in your midfield. Basuma needs to be starting. I thought uh, Papa Matar Sar played okay, but he looked young and raw at times. But for me, Basuma, Bentoncourt, that's the partnership they need in midfield. Bentoncourt is out right now, so that's fine to play Sar. But Basuma should be starting over Heusman, without doubt. I don't know why Sessegnon started yesterday. I assume they were hope or they were thinking his pace to deal with Saka. Saka tore him apart. I don't know what's wrong with Youngman's son. There's a lot of top, top players having really poor seasons this year. And he might be having the worst of them all. So that's where we sit. Arsenal top, City second, Newcastle third, United fourth, Tottenham fifth, Fulham sixth, Brighton, Brentford, Liverpool and Chelsea wrap up the top ten. Then it's Villa, Tottenham, Forest. Sorry, Villa, Palace, Forest, Leeds, Leicester, Wolves and Bournemouth. And your bottom three are West Ham United. Everton and Southampton. And right now, of the three, Southampton look like the one most likely to get themselves out of it. We have two games this week. Um, Crystal Palace will face Manchester United on Wednesday. And then Manchester City take on Tottenham on Thursday. We also have FA Cup games this week, obviously, as well. And we'll talk about them tomorrow But for now, we'll take a break. And when we come back, news, gossip, and we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, as I mentioned, Chelsea have unveiled Mykhailo Mudrik as their new signing. A fee in the region of €100 million, inclusive of add-ons. It's worth pointing out, inclusive of add-ons. It's about £70 up front and about £30 in add-ons. It could be £25 in add-ons. It's a ludicrous, ludicrous signing. 
Until this season, he had scored two goals in 47 games in his career. This season, he did really well in the Champions League, and that's what brought all the attention. Now, he's a very talented player. He's very quick. He's got really good close control. He's excellent 1v1. It's a strange thing that he's gone to Chelsea having so kind of openly flirted with Arsenal. Or did he, though? Because if you think about it, the source for most of the flirting was kind of directly through Arsenal sources. So every little thing he did that was Arsenal connected, they just ran with. And it all started when Ben Jacobs, that absolute spoofer who's trying to grow a beard, put um, words in his mouth when doing an interview with him. Basically put words in his mouth. And then reported that he said he couldn't turn down Arsenal. But he said that because you said, could you turn down Arsenal? If you'd said, could you turn down Crystal Palace, he likely would have said no. He'd been very very honest that he wanted to come to the Premier League. But he goes to Chelsea. And becomes their fifth signing of the transfer window. After Badia Shile, Datro Fafana, Santos and the loan signing of Joe Felix. I don't know what Graham Potter's plan is. I don't know what shape or system he intends to play in the long term. But Mudrik can fit in in a 4-2-3-1, a 4-3-3 or a 3-4-3. And they're the three primary systems that Graham Potter has used, both with Brighton and now with Chelsea. And I can see Mudrik and Nkunku being a really nice combination, either in a front three where Nkunku is the false nine, though I don't know if there's enough goals with those two, unless you've got the next Mo Salah playing on the right. In a 4-2-3-1 with Nkunku as the 10 and Mudrik on the left wing, that I can see working really well. But for to do that, they would still need a, a number nine. I think Raheem Sterling fits really well in a line of three behind a striker with those two. I could see Raheem working with them in a 4-3-3 as well, or a 3-4-3. But I do wonder what what it all means for Mason Mount, what it means for Kai Havertz. Uh, A lot of Chelsea fans are of the opinion they're keeping Joe Felix. I don't think you are. I, I think there's a reason. It was a loan with no option to buy. I think you've gotten him as a dry run for what Nkunku will be when he arrives. Todd Bowley remains the most laughable man, laughable owner in the league. Uh, 500 million now spent or committed to players. Plus the 40 million to sack Tuchel and hire Potter. Baffling. Absolutely baffling. No clue what he's doing. Uh, jumped on a Twitter space last night to basically ask fans who they would like. That, that's how he's running his football club. Uh, they're not the only club active in the transfer market. Jean Duran, super talented Colombian striker from Chicago Fire, is on his way to the Premier League to join Aston Villa. He scored eight goals and 
managed six assists in 28 appearances for Chicago Fire this past season at the age of 19. Should have no problem getting a work permit. Very, very talented. Very, very talented. And I think not not ready to start in the Premier League, but if you have him and Cameron Archer and you can develop them, uh, if you buy, I think they need one more striker. I think they need an actual nine. I've said it before, Ivan Tony would be ideal. But with those two, and then Archer and Duran, I think that could be a really, really nice four-man front group where you can play any combination of the four. Uh, to do that, you obviously sell Danny Ings, but you know we'll wait and see what happens. I don't know what what Emery's plans are. Um, Bournemouth also looking to add Dango Uatara of Lorenz, twenty-year-old winger. Six goals, six assists in 18 games this season. Now, Bournemouth's owner is currently trying to buy a stake in Laurent, which I think has made all this a lot easier for them. That's a lot of money to commit to a young winger when you're in the position that they're in. But I do think it's a good signing. I do think that's a good signing. So, looking forward to seeing how he does in the league. Could be interesting. Um, We'll go from good news for Bournemouth to bad news. Um, Enoch Mwepu collapsed and was rushed to hospital in Zambia after falling unwell. Reports are that he's had a heart attack. You'll remember, of course, that he had to retire in October because of a hereditary heart attack, a hereditary uh, heart condition, uh, this this isn't good news at all. Um, and hopefully, hopefully it's not a heart attack. Hopefully it's just, you know, something less severe and he's he'll make a full recovery, but this must be terrifying for him. Three months ago, he was a Premier League footballer with a long career in front of him and now he may not have a long life in front of him. So keep your thoughts with Enoch Mwapu. Um Gareth Crook's team of the week. He's picked Emmy Martinez in goal. No, absolutely not. Kepa is your goalkeeper of the week. He's picked Ben White, Luke Shaw and Alex Moreno. Now, no issue at all with with White and Shaw being in. Shaw was very, very good in the in the game against City. Kept did did really well against Haaland. And uh, no issue with Ben White. Kept, kept um, Youngman's son very, very quiet. But I'm just not having. I'm not having Moreno. I'm just not. I just, I can't see how you can justify putting him in your team of the week. It wasn't that he was bad by any stretch. Like, he didn't play poorly. But, I mean, he came on as a sub. I'm not having it. I'm just not having it. He made one really good 
defensive interjection, we'll call it. Um, he was pretty good going forward. But I'm still not having it like. I thought Villa's defence still looked very, very ropey. So I'm not having him. Um, he's gone Solly March, no problem. No problem at all. He's gone Odegaard, fair enough. He's picked Matthias Janssen because he scored. But how you could watch Liverpool's game against Brighton, which he, obviously he didn't, and not pick Moises Caicedo, who was comfortably the best player on the pitch, I don't know. And he's picked Ward-Prowse because Ward-Prowse scored twice. So, you know what? Fair enough. Up front, he's gone Brennan Johnson, Marcus Rashford and Saka. I didn't think Rashford played well against Arsenal. Johnson got two goals and played pretty well. Saka was really good. I'm I'm not having Rashford and I'm not having Alex Moreno. And there's just no way Matthias Jensen should be in over Caicedo. He just doesn't watch football. Let's finish up with the gossip. Newcastle are interested in signing 25-year-old Portuguese midfielder Ruben Neves, who has 18 months left on his contract at Wolves. Chelsea are fully behind Graham Potter and are planning a mass clear-out of players if results do not improve. There will be some really good bargains to pick up from Chelsea this summer. Like, really, really good bargains to pick up. Um, This was obviously... This this was reported on Saturday by the Times. Let's see if we can see what journalist it is. Uh, Gary Jacob. Now, Gary Jacob's normally pretty good. Arsenal are confident of completing an £80 million deal for Mikhailo Mudrik. Whoops. Chelsea could sign Marcus Turam for as little as £9 million this month, with the 25-year-old's contract expiring at the end of the season. Liverpool met with Sofia Amrabat's representatives to try and convince the Fiorentina man to move to Ireland, to Ireland, to Anfield. But the 26-year-old prefers a move to Atletic Madrid. Liverpool never met with his representatives. That is a, a blatant, bold-faced lie by Nathan Ridley, uh, who I don't know, but we're going to just be just a spoofer. Uh, Chelsea and Tottenham are eyeing, eyeing a move for Leandro Trossard. Tottenham don't need him. And Chelsea don't need him now. Arsenal is the move for him. Manchester United have received serious takeover interest from the Middle East, Asia and America and are poised to invite formal bids from by next month's deadline. So Jim Radcliffe is also expected to bid. The problem is they're looking for £7 million for a club that's not worth anywhere close to that. Chelsea are in talks with PSV Eindhoven over a move for Noni Mudeki. Aston Villa have opened talks with Marseille for Matteo Guendouzi and have discussed offering a player in a swap deal. I wonder if that would be Morgan Sanson. Everton and Wolves are interested in 33-year-old Brazilian defender Felipe. He's not good. Everton have also made an offer of $17.7 million for Laurentin Burkino Faso Ford Dango Oatara. Looks like he's away to uh, Bournemouth, obviously. Wolves have agreed a deal to sign Joe Gomes from Flamengo. Good player. Uh, the Black Country side are also closing in on a deal for Pablo Sarabia. Interesting. Club Bruges have agreed a deal to sign England youth goalkeeper Joseph Bursic from Stoke. He's, he's very good. 
Scott Parker's first signing. It's done and dusted. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm impressed by that move. I am impressed by that move. Bursic is a good goalkeeper. They do have Simon Mignolet there. But I mean, he's not a good goalkeeper. Nice have agreed a deal for Laurent with Nigeria for Tareem Moffi, who's also been the subject of a bid from, from Southampton. I've said it before, I'd be surprised if Laurent were willing to sell Moffi and Ouattara in the one window, but maybe they are. Tottenham remain keen to sign Pedro Poro, but need to sell one of their other senior right-backs, Matt Doherty or Emerson Real first. Doherty's easier to move, you would imagine. Tottenham and Newcastle could compete for the signature of Nicolo Zaniolo. I'd be stunned if he can pass a medical with them knees. Burnley are interested in signing 19-year-old Dutch defender Jensen Sielt from PSV Eindhoven and Swedish defender Hjalmar Ekdal from Jurgardens. Um, don't know much about either of them, to be honest. But Burnley have done really well since company took over in terms of identifying talent. So, you know, keep it up. Scott McTominay is not for sale, despite Everton, Southampton, Leeds, West Ham and Leicester. All exper- He's such a Leicester player. He's such a Brendan Rodgers type signing. Um, Aston Villa's France fullback, Frederic Gilbert, is set to sign a permanent deal with Strasbourg, where he spent the second half of last season on loan. Fair play. Chelsea have made a 30 million euro bid for Noni Mudiecki. That's fine. Chelsea had a loan bid for Mikhail, and ha- and M- Mikhail Antonio turned down by West Ham. Fair. Liverpool have ended contract talks with Naby Keita. That happened months ago. Crystal Palace will launch a new bid for Conor Gallagher. This is great, though. It says with the 22-year-old dropping down the pecking order, he li- literally started on Sunday. Barcelona are in no rush to sell Memphis Depay and are happy to keep the 28-year-old until his contract expires. Real Madrid are making Jude Bellingham their priority in the transfer market. Everton want to sign Anthony Anthony Alanga. Is he any better than Anthony Gordon, who can't get in the team? I don't think he is. Crystal Palace fear they will be priced out of signing Aaron Juan-Bissaka from Manchester United. He started and played quite well against um, City, but he did lose Grealish for the goal. Tottenham will meet Sporting this week to discuss a deal for Pedro Porro. Tottenham are also plotting a £20 million move for Piero Hincapié. That that won't get him. He's going to cost more than that. Liverpool are weighing up a move for Ruben Neves. I doubt it. Wolves are interested in bringing in Jamal Lachelles if they can't sign Craig Dawson. Um, so if they can't, I won't even say what I was going to say, but that's awful. Uh, West Ham have made inquiries for Terran Moffey. Both the Hammers believe he is beyond their budget. Okay. Nottingham Forest are closing in on signing Danilo. That one should be done today. Villarreal and Netherlands forward Arnaut Danjuma is the whole talks with clubs, including Bournemouth about a January loan if he has fallen off massively from 12 months ago. Bournemouth are preparing a £50,000 a week deal to tempt Antoine Semenye 
Semenyo, Semenyo from Bristol City. I, I don't think it's going to cost 50 grand a week to get him. Like he's probably on about eight grand a week at Bristol. Southampton want to sign two of Manchester City's academy stars, English midfielder Kean Brecken and 18-year-old Portuguese winger Carlos Borges. Um, they, they do know they're allowed by from elsewhere, right? Chelsea are winning, willing to listen to offers for Raheem Sterling. Uh, it's from Football Insider, so it's almost certainly a lie. Arsenal have made contact with Barcelona to explore deals for Rafinha and Ferran Torres. I don't believe that to be true. Arsenal have been offered Leandro Trossard. I think they should take him. Barcelona have put a one hundred million pound, one hundred million euro price tag on Rafinha, uh, who moved from the to the new camp from Leeds. Um, he he he's a really good player, and he, but he hasn't settled properly there. Now I think if you give him time, he will. But uh, I mean that price tag. That's there. They've looked at the Mudrik deal and thought, well, he's better than him. So this is what we're asking for. Barcelona want to re-sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but fear they are legally unable to do so. Can't even be arsed getting into that one. Chelsea are ready to spend more than £100 million on three further signings. This is just... I'm sorry, but this is it's farcical what they're doing. Liverpool could move for Wolves and Portugal midfielder Ruben Neves. Uh, no. Arsenal are interested in signing... Real Valladolid's Spanish right-back, Ivan Fresneda. He's really talented, but that would be the wrong move for him. He needs to go somewhere where he'll start. But Brentford would be a really good move for him because you could have him and Rico Henry, and then Aaron Hickey can play both. So you'd have three full-backs for your two spots, and you can rotate. Uh, Manchester United and Arsenal will compete to sign Brazilian midfielder Luis Henrique from Real Betis. Hmm. He only just moved there in the summer. I would imagine the asking price would be significant. West Ham have made a 25 million bid for Laurent and Nigeria for Teramoffi. So we've gone from him going to Nice to West Ham not being able to afford him to now West Ham making a bid. Leeds are interested in Club Bruges 20... Club Bruges' 20-year-old goalkeeper, Sene Lamans. I don't know anything about him, but Leeds already have two really good young goalkeepers. Um, though I'm not sure what his future holds if Bruges have just bought Joseph Bursic. PSV Eindhoven will have made an inquiry for Todd Cantwell. Uh, Rangers are also interested. Discussions are ongoing between the Polish Football Association, Stephen Gerrard. Someone take the Polish... FA and put them to bed. They're they're acting drunk and silly. Nottingham Forest have joined the list of clubs interested in signing Danjuma. Nottingham Forest are interested in signing everybody. Everton have opened loan talks with Duvan Zabata. West Ham are considering replacements for David Moyes with Nuno Espirito Santo and Rafa Benitez among the contenders. Rafa would be an awful appointment. But Nuno... Nuno wouldn't be a bad one. Nuno wouldn't be a bad appointment there at all. 3-4-3. They're they're set up for Nuno to walk in and immediately get to work. They've got all the players he would want. So, yeah. 
Moyes is working on a game-by-game basis, but is, inspect, but is expected to be in charge of Everton's next game against, sorry, West Ham's next game against Everton on Saturday. My prediction is he gets sacked, Everton sacked Frank and Moyes walked into the Everton job. The problem is, I think Moyes should be taking time off after he leaves West Ham. And I could see him going there and them still going down. We'll leave it at that. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.